Okay, we're back. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I think that that was a really nice interview uh, with Sarah Hershaw. She uh, is with Lyoko Wine. Uh, We're going to change gears a little bit. Um, We're going to broaden up to um, somebody who is really pushing the bar in the import uh, and retail sector. Uh, He has a retail shop in Waco, and he has uh, really started out importing wines, importing groovy and interesting wines from all over the world. Uh, His name is Dave. David Mayfield, and and uh, it's Mayfield Selections, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So, um, David, give us give us a a, beef, a brief background as to how and why you started this import company. It started as importing and and uh, grew from there. Yeah. So to make a long story short, I jumped into the wine industry because I uh, was working uh, behind a desk and wanted something more exciting. Always been interested in wine, and uh, one day I pitched the idea to my wife. Uh, I said, <laughs> crossed well, your fingers. Yeah, and- basically I said, uh, what would you think about me working in the wine industry? Thinking she would like most rational people say, David, that's not a real job, but, uh, <laughs> she didn't. And so here I am. And, uh, I, I got into the importing and distribution side, um, basically like probably many importers and distributors through a long journey, but started reading Kermit Lynch's, uh, book, uh, Adventures on the Wine Route. Oh, what a fundamental text. And I, I think it's inspired so many. I was already in the wine business uh, pretty deep when I read that. And it just, you know, it just inspires you uh, to, to just go out and search unique things. Yeah, absolutely. He's fantastic. And, and that really did get me interested in finding things that less people knew about. Um, and so that sort of started us down the path of finding different wines that from grapes most people hadn't heard of, from regions most people hadn't heard of. And uh, to start things off with a bang, we uh, decided to get on a plane and go to Uruguay for two months. And that's how we, uh, that's where we brought in our first container of wine from, which is actually kind of crazy thinking back on it. But uh, yeah, we we wanted to uh, sort of put a stake in the ground and try something different. And Uruguay was certainly that. Yeah, for sure. What what wines were you drinking before uh, you, you kind of made that professional leap? I mean, honestly, uh, I was drinking, I was trying to learn as much as I could about wine. So mostly European wines, but, uh, I didn't have a good understanding of wine. I actually, to, to learn more, I moved out to California with my wife. We studied at the CIA, uh, the Culinary Institute out there. They have a wine program. It was about six months long. But before that, I sort of had this uh, mistaken idea that the the best wines were the more expensive wines or you had to spend a certain amount to have something cool. Um, and I found out through, you know, tasting a lot of stuff out there, we would taste 30, 40 wines every day for six months and, uh, found out that, uh, there's some really cool stuff out there, um, within a great price range. Right, right, right. So, um, what, you know, so you make this leap, you go to California and then you go to Europe. Um, so, but the, the decision to start with Uruguay, was it, was it just that you saw that nobody was doing that? Yeah. So, I mean, it started, I was, uh, in the class in California, we, uh, we tasted through a lineup of South America wines, Argentina, Chile, um, all blind. Um, and so then we, they also threw in a couple wines from Uruguay. And for me, those stood out. Um, they were the, they seemed to be closest uh, aligned to what I had been drinking before, European wines. Right. They had acidity, they had freshness, they had structure, they had all those things that uh, I was personally into. And uh, I was sort of confused by why I'd never seen them on the market before. Right. Um, when you went down there, did you did you see 
just a, an extreme interest or did you see folks who were like, what are you doing here? Is there going to be interest for this in the U.S.? I mean, how are you met down there? Yeah, so so, <laughs> so certainly by both. And I would say the, the wine community down there was very welcoming. Um, I mean, there were only at the time about 30 wineries that were uh, trying to export, interested in exporting. And uh, we went down there and uh, met with pretty much all of them. And uh, they were all very excited to have someone from the U.S. down there, for someone from Texas. Um, none of them had worked here before, right. um, except for one, Bodega Bosa. They had worked in Texas before, but nobody else had. And so just getting to go down and meet them and taste through their wines was it was eye-opening for me because we found overall the quality was pretty high for the wines. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. I, I studied wine in Argentina. This was during um, 2004, uh, and I would go over to Uruguay quite 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 regularly and uh and and i'm with you i'm glad that, that you're doing it and we're, we're still hardly seeing um i mean even even your efforts but on a broad scale we're not really still seeing uruguay yeah sure so where, where did it go from there so then did you then go back to the historic regions of uh, yeah. france and yeah yeah so for me uruguay was it almost doesn't make sense because it's really the only thing we have from uh, south america but it, it's it made sense in my mind because really what i'm seeking is sort of the different the off the beaten path the more obscure right. so the next thing we brought in was chocolate, um, which definitely fits in that off the beaten path obscure yeah, and it goes yeah, back to yeah. European roots. So we, we spent a little bit of time up in San Sebastian area. Um, and right, so that's the northern part of Spain in the in the Basque country. Exactly. And and chocolate, describe chocolate. So for folks that listening out there who uh, don't know what chocolate is, it's spelled with a T-X um, and, it, and that's that's that Basque language and uh, it's a very interesting grape. What drew you to that? Yeah, so I, I kind of got into, I guess I got into chocolate by being in the area. Uh, we, we went okay. up there um, because it was a trip from north of Rioja, and so we went up to San Sebastian, which is a beautiful, fantastic town. Um, and then we went all around this green, lush countryside right next to this dark, cold ocean. Right. Um, lots of fog uh, and fantastic food. Everyone has this gardens and everyone's growing grapes. There's these small wineries everywhere yeah. um, throughout the hills. And if you walk into a bar there, they they have these pinzos bars, which are sort of like tapas, I guess, right, but right. Uh, they're served on like a skewer. Um, and so you'd walk in and every single bar would have Chocolate, um, both white and rosé, and they would have uh, ciders because that's pretty much all they. Uh, oh, the are, ciders are from that from that area. Oh, are you bringing beautiful. in any ciders? Yeah, so we just started to work with uh, one cider from the Basque uh, Basque country. Uh, we don't have it in yet, but uh, we've okay. got it, uh, labels being approved and all that stuff. All right. So how? I mean, you know, you're a give us the scope of of kind of your import because your 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 company, your operation. Because I mean, I feel like uh, a lot of folks out there. Um, they, it's hard to grasp the scope of the industry, and you've got these humongous distributors and importers, Glaciers and Republic, and then even bigger importers on that level. I mean, you know, you started out organically, right, by begging the wife, and then, right. and then, um, you know, and you know, you don't have to sell millions of cases of wine to make an impact and to and to reside in the part of the industry that you most want to be, which is the unique, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we. Even if we wanted to sell millions of cases of wine, even if we uh, had 
customers wanting millions of cases of wines. Honestly, these guys don't produce millions of right, cases right, of wine. Yeah. So uh, we, we often, that's probably the biggest challenge we run into is uh, these producers run out of stock and we're out of a specific wine. Uh, that, that makes it hard. But ultimately, if we want to work with these small guys, right. we have to be able to understand that it's a, there's a finite supply of these uh, these beautiful wines and uh they're gonna run out right so it must be kind of a fun thing where it's like you know you get 50 cases and then where in the u.s are you going to kind of offer it right exactly yeah yeah and so are you and you're in, you're in texas do you, do you sell to other uh states as well no right now we only operate in texas so okay. we, we direct import some wines from texas we work with some fantastic import partners um out of new york some uh, people like Selections de la Vina, and we work with T. Edwards, um, and uh, and we get to showcase the small producers that they can find and the small producers that we can find, and right. just get to sell them here in Texas, um, which for a long time has been an underserved market, um, especially uh, wines that come in from overseas, usually ends up in New York or California, and kind of, even yeah. though Texas is the third largest wine market, it gets skipped over. Well, we, we are really trying to fix that, because yeah. <laughs> cause I, uh, I, I just love these, these, um, these, you know, small lot wines that come in that are just, you know, that, that showcase uh, true wines of, I, I heard somebody use this quote, wines of consequence. Yeah, that's and, good. And, you know, it's like a, a wine can can show you just what you want to, 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 to see in a wine, and then you can also be puzzled by certain wines. And that's the intellectual mm-hmm. pursuit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. What, um, so tell us a little bit about, so your, your business model has a little bit evolved in that now you also have a retail shop. And that's, is, that's almost in the Kermit. Lynch model because right. Kermit Lynch imports wines and then he has his shop in Berkeley. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I definitely love the idea of how, how they did it. And uh, for, for me, it was, I started this wholesale business. And after I did that, looking through everything, I had to kind of give up this dream or idea I had of opening up any sort of retail space, which was really part of the initial dream I had. Um, and so that was, you know, a little bit sad. I was, you know, going down to Houston and selling wine, which we still do. And I was talking to uh, this wine shop in Houston called French Country Wines. I walked in and I was right. like, and they told me that they imported all the wines. And I sort of looked at them like, that's not possible. I, I am an importer. I have the license. <laughs> and they didn't I, know who they were that. talking right. about. Right. Well, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out how in the world is this possible? How are you doing this? And they were super nice. And uh, they were they told me all about it and uh, how they the, the permits they applied for, the way they did things. And so once I found out about that, um, the next time my permit was up for renewal, I switched it to this permit and uh, have been operating under that ever since. And so we moved our, our uh, we, we put a warehouse down in Waco. And uh, when we did that, we uh, had the ability to open up a retail shop, uh, again, to serve uh, the Waco community that was uh, how I felt was a little bit underserved in the wine market. They didn't right. get the the cool stuff that you get in Austin or you get in Houston. They just didn't probably have folks to needed to go up to Dallas or come down right. to Austin. Um, and then so it, so in that so obviously folks can uh, can obviously visit the shop. But then do you have like a back area where it's more f- geared for operations for exactly. the distribution? Yeah, yeah. So we have you know the I mean it's cold in the shop anyways, but uh, it's very cold in, in, in our back room. And, uh, and that's where we keep all the stock of wines. Our, our front room's pretty uh, minimalist. It's, you know, a few bottles of each wine or something sure, and, sure. with all the rest in the back. 
how how many just to give folks a scope of 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 it i mean how many labels do you different do, do you do you carry yeah that's a great question right now we're, we're we're like i said pretty small we've got about 150 different labels from about 53 wineries wow. um and so we're always adding to it and trying to get cool stuff as it becomes available um but yeah we i, I like the ability to have a small book, to be able to know the names of the producers, the stories of the producers, and uh, you know what each wine tastes like, um, and and to have people that work for me, um, whether it be in sales or at the at the store, to actually know and have tried each of the wines. Right, and is that that you know that must be a difficult thing as you grow and you get incorporate thousands of wines. Sure. There's no way possible way to have tasted everything. Right? right, you lose you lose sight of things. Yeah, it's pretty special when it's when when you can kind of have a better understanding of everything that you have in your book. Um, it's it's fun to me. Yeah, um, we are here with David Mayfield. If you are just uh, joining us, um, and we really appreciate you listening in. Uh, this is Co-op K O O P Hornsby Austin ninety one point seven, and um, I'm going to post. Uh, some, some info about David on, on the blog. And uh, David, where can folks go? Can, is there a, a Facebook page or a, a website or something like that? Yeah, we, we've got both. We've got, uh, there's the, the Waco Wine Shop has a website, Waco Wine Shop, S-H-O-P-P-E. Uh, dot com, and then there's uh, our Facebook page, David Mayfield Selections. Awesome. We're going to take a very short break, and then we'll be back with our last segment, so stick with us. Okay, we are back. Uh, my name is Mark Rayshap, and we're here with David Mayfield, who is owner of a boutique uh, importer of wine, and um, and and hopefully soon cider, and maybe hopefully soon vermouth <laughs> uh, and some other things. And he has a wine shop in Waco, and uh, also operates his wholesale operation out of there. Um, David, you know you you know you're just in Texas, but you service most of the markets here. Yeah. Um, what do you? I always think it's interesting to talk to people who have your scope and who have, you know, meet with key wine people all over the state. Uh, you know, I try to mostly focus almost on Austin, but, you know, you see everybody in Dallas and Houston. What what are your impressions of the markets? And uh, do you, do you, is there anything fun that you know, you know, that you can tell us about one of the markets or, or where one is going or what's hot in one versus the other? Yeah, I would say it's a really exciting time to be in Texas for sure. Um, yeah. I see uh, all the markets, Austin and Houston. We sell a little bit in Dallas as well. All of those are, have been growing. And the, the, the sort of trend I see is people are getting more interested in wines that they haven't heard of. They want to try things more often as opposed to sticking to one brand for, you know, forever. They want to... You know, they, they might want to try this weird grape called Grelot, and then next week they might want to try this uh, grape called Chirello Vermel that there's only five acres grown in the world. And, yeah. you know, and people are willing to experiment. And and uh, especially in Austin and especially in Houston, I'm seeing this, you know, group of, uh, you know, buyers that are really, really interested in finding uh, the unusual, the new, the um, because they also have customers that are asking for those and right. they're helping to sell those to their customers. And yeah, what, what's new, you know, what, 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 fla what are flavors that I've never experienced before? Yeah, totally. Now, how much of that do you think this might be hard for you to, uh, you know, I don't know if the data is there for you, but, um, how much of that is a matter of age and that kind of the younger wine drinkers are a little bit more open or how much of it is that these wine professionals, sommeliers and people who work in wine, groovy wine shops are really pushing the bar as far as that goes. Yeah, I would definitely say that the people that are working in wine are absolutely pushing the bar. Um, I would say that the that there's a growing trend towards the millennial generation, the younger generation. Sure, yeah. um, I think it sort of started off with uh, like 
craft sour beers, things like that have moved, especially in the segment of the wine market that I work in the most, which is sort of, uh, wild fermented wine. So yeah. naturally fermented, um, kind of can be a little bit funky, a little bit, uh, just different. And, yeah. uh, so those, those sort of wines I've found, um, have, have been driven a lot what, by the what do you mean generation. by what do you mean by funk i mean i know what i mean you know but what, what for folks out there it's like you know um and these beers so you're saying it's really coming from that beer that wild you know almost um you know body visceral sensation is, is that is that yeah kind of, i would say places uh, in, in austin like jester king who really put a stake in the ground with their wild fermented beers have done a great job for you know, promoting that the, the importance of yeast and that, uh, you know, if you are using wild yeast, the terroir is going to be, it's, 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 you're getting more of that. Um, right. whereas if you're using cultured yeast, I, I get the reasons for it, but, um, depending on the type of yeast you're using in the area you're using it from, it, it may not be as authentic of, as, of a product. Do you, so do you have, um, these kind of rules that you always stick by? Like all of your producers will be natural, you know, fermentations and, you you know, or, or is it a little bit of a, you know, you just consider it on a base by base situation? Yes. Yeah, so I would say, I mean, for me, the most important thing absolutely is the natural yeast fermentation. Okay. Um, I don't know that I, I completely understand producers need and tough vintages and challenging vintages to inoculate. Um, but I think the overall thing I have is growers that have a respect for the place that they are working, which Thankfully, working with small producers, you're going to have a much higher percentage of those that care about the place that they're growing grapes because they're, they're, it's the third generation for them. They're hoping the next two generations will do great. You know, they're, they're tied to the land. Yeah. It's, it's not, they're not just trying to, you know, use what the land can give to make money. They're trying to preserve the land for future generations. So do you, when you're visiting wineries and considering new, um, new producers to carry in your portfolio, do you feel like it's, um, that there's still a plethora of them out there or do you feel like it's still, you know, really hard to find, um, you know, quality plus uh, availability and that they're not already doing business or, um, you know, is that a struggle for you or, you know, is like, oh, they've got an offer from somebody in Norway and they only make 2000 cases. So, you know, yeah, I would say absolutely. Availability is always an issue because the wine market, uh, the, the global wine market is getting more interested in the cooler wines and those things are produced in minuscule quantities. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's, that's usually the problem I run up against. Yeah. I find a wine, I want to get it. I contact the producer, I go out and see them, and they say they'd love to get it to me, but they just don't have enough to send me. Right. Um, so, David, we only have a few minutes left, but uh, you know, I wanted you to talk about some of those really oddball grape varieties that, that you kind of mentioned, yeah. you kind of glossed over. Um, what is the, kind of the m most oddball variety that you kind of can think of and, and, uh, or what you're most into, just, just a couple that you can tell us about? Yes. So I'll tell you about one of the, the, the grapes and the producer that makes it because it's a fantastic story. It's this winery called Partita Creus. They're uh, in Barcelona and originally from, uh, from Italy. They were architects that moved there to work in uh, Barcelona. And uh, they were these crazy guys that moved out into the middle of nowhere in Barcelona um, and started farming these weird grape varietals. Grapes like Ul de Perdue, which is... Uh, impossible to pronounce or spell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think got, there's two L's in there. Or oh, oh, yeah, they, they've got a better one even. Kiksal de Lop, L-L-O-P. I mean, these weird, <laughs> weird grapes. And nobody wanted them. And they were these vineyards that, had, that people were... Uh, 
doing nothing and they save them and make really cool wines out of them. And the thing I love most about that is that I love supporting people like that because there's just this cool thing that happens when instead of replanting Kixal de Lop with Chardonnay or Cabernet, you let these people that to grow something and make beautiful wine out of it, sell it and keep the land and keep those grape varietals like Kixal de Lop there because they've always been there. And right. it just makes no sense to me to tear something like that up uh, to make the whole wine world one homogenous uh, world. I, I like the diversity. In right. It. Me too. I mean, um, you know, why rip something out and put a, a, a international varietal, Syrah, Merlot, Cab, and when you have such a diversity? Yeah. Um, and, well, just one last question. We've got about a minute left. Do, um, I mean, do you see, you still see that diversity uh, even without indigenous varieties in the new world? I mean, you've got kind of interesting stuff in Uruguay, as you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. I see the, the new world. I, I think as the consumer is getting more interested in diverse offerings, diverse wines, you're seeing new world wines following suit. Um, and you're seeing, you're finding the people that, that really never changed, that never tore up their, you know, old vines of uh, this grape or that grape right. and uh, replanted it with something that they felt was more popular, profitable or whatever. Right. And, and those guys are starting to come out of the woodwork, which is exciting. Awesome. David Mayfield, thank you so much for coming in. This has been a really fun conversation. I feel yeah, like, uh, yeah, we need to uh, have a glass, share a glass of wine at some point uh, <laughs> down the road, uh, like we said earlier. So, um, well, great. I hope you've enjoyed this hour. Uh, again, another, another really great great couple of discussions of wine and what the wine world is doing. So um, I'm Mark Rayshap. This is Co-op Radio, KOOP, Hornsby, Austin, 91.7. And uh, we'll see you next week. Great, try some great wines uh, and, uh, and you know, enjoy them responsibly and, and uh, love on somebody.